All right, how's everybody doing today? Hotep, hey, this is Michael M. Hotep, founder of the African History Network, host of the African History Network show. I'm a talk show host, researcher, lecture writer, and historian. So it is Wednesday, August 10th, 2022, and we are live. We have a special Wednesday edition of the African History Network show. So share this broadcast on your social media platforms. Invite your friends to tune in. So we got the news on Tuesday that a grand jury in Mississippi would not indict Carolyn Bryant, Carolyn Bryant Dunham in the murder and kidnapping of Emmett Lewis Till. And if you remember back on our Sunday, July 10th show, when I talked about the uh, arrest warrant that was issued August 29th, 1955, that arrest warrant was found by a search team and members of Emmett Till's family. We talked about this on that July 10th show, and I went through and explained that I did not think that that search warrant was going to be served. And I did not think Carolyn, Carolyn Bryant Dunham would actually be indicted. And I went through and explained why. And one of the things that uh, we talked about was the 16 page Department of Justice report. Emmett Till noticed a closed file, the 16 page Department of Justice report that was uh, released by the Department of Justice. Uh, that was released by the Department of Justice on, uh, what was this, December, it was uh, December 2021, right around December 7th, 2021, the day they made the, December 6th, 2021, the day they made the announcement that they were closing the uh, investigation into Emmett Till's case that they opened because of the allegations made by Professor Timothy Tyson in his 2017 book, The Blood of Emmett Till. So if you've been watching this show, you know we went through and broke all that down. So what we're going to do today, and yes, we want justice for Emmett Till, but as I said, having read, I actually read this 16-page report from the Department of Justice and this documents their investigation. Having read this report, I said they're not going to indict her because, because of lack of sufficient evidence and Basically, all of the other witnesses are dead, except for Reverend um, uh, Wheeler Parker Jr., uh, who is Emmett Till's cousin from Chicago. And he was with Emmett Till at the store, but he was outside of the store when, when Emmett Till came out. And he was the last person who's alive to see uh, who, who was there when Emmett Till was abducted. He was at the house when Emmett Till was abducted as well. So what we're going to do today, we're going to look at the code. Uh, that came out, look at the information that came out on Tuesday, August 9th, 2022, announcing that the uh, a Mississippi grand jury is not going to indict Carolyn Bryant Dunham. Um, and then I'm going to go through and we're going to look at another part of the uh, another part of the report. OK, we're going to go through and look at another part of the 16 page report. And I want to focus on uh, pages um, five through seven 
and then I'm going to re-air uh, the, the segment dealing with uh, Emmett Till from our Sunday, July 10th show, where I also went in depth into uh, the 16-page report, and we looked at pages three through five. Uh, that was the main focus uh, on July 10th, okay? So everybody share this broadcasting on social media platforms. Invite your friends to tune in. Yes, we want justice for Emmett Till. Hopefully, somehow, justice will happen. Uh, but it's the the uh, the information from all, uh, Professor Timothy Tyson's book is not going to help. And there's a whole lot of inconsistencies uh, in the allegations that he made about. Uh, Carolyn Brian Dunham recanting her testimony as well. And we, we talked about this on our July 10th show and on previous shows also. Okay. Also, if you like this type of information, you can support the African History Network, dollar sign the AHN show through Cash App, dollar sign the AHN show through Cash App, also through PayPal, paypal.me forward slash the AHN show. The socials keep doing the research, stay on the air, keep broadcasting. And we'll let you know about our online history classes that I teach uh, on the weekends as well. So let's look at this article here from the New York Times that came out um, Tuesday, uh, August 9th, 2022. Okay. Uh, Mississippi grand jury declines to indict woman in Emmett Till murder. Mississippi grand jury declines to indict woman in Mississippi uh, in uh, in Emmett Till uh, murder case, okay? And this is dealing with Carolyn Bryant Dunham, who was seen for the first time uh, in uh, 20 years, first time in public in 20 years. Uh, there was an article from the Daily Mail uh, that came out August 1st, 2022, and showed pictures of her. So she's in hospice care. Uh, she has cancer, and she is... Um, uh, blind as well. Okay. All right. So uh, check out this article here also from uh, the Daily Mail as well. We'll show you that article in just a minute. So Carolyn Bryant uh, Dunham uh, had accused the 14-year-old boy of whistling at her in 1955. His killing helped galvanize the civil rights movement. His killing helped to galvanize the civil rights movement. All right. So here's a picture of Carolyn Bryant Dunham and uh, second from the right, uh, sitting beside her former husband, Roy Bryant and J.W. Millam, who was his half brother, far left, uh, their trial in Emmett Till's murder in Sumner, Mississippi, 1955. All right. So uh, a grand jury in Mississippi examining the case of uh, Emmett Till um, has declined to indict the white woman whose accusations prompted the attack prosecutors said on Tuesday. Now, jurors in, in LaFleur County in uh, the Mississippi Delta, where Emmett Till had traveled uh, from Chicago in the summer of 1955, heard more than seven hours, heard more than seven hours of testimony from uh, investigators and witnesses with direct knowledge from investigators and witnesses with direct knowledge of the case. Still, prosecutors said the uh, panel did not find sufficient evidence. The panel did not find sufficient evidence to indict Carolyn Bryant, Carolyn Bryant Dunham on charges 
of kidnapping or manslaughter. And when you go through and we read the 16-page uh, Department of Justice report dealing with their investigation, I mean, you see why. And I, I read through it, and it's a shame we want justice for Emmett Till, but as, as I said, um, uh, they're, they're, they're lacking evidence, okay? They're lacking evidence. All right, let's continue with this, and let me try to increase the size of this a little bit here. Okay, so you all should be able to see this okay, hopefully. All right, so after hearing, um, after hearing every aspect of the investigation and evidence collected regarding uh, Dunham's involvement, returned a no bill to the uh, charges of both kidnapping and manslaughter. They returned a no bill, uh, no indictment to the charges of kidnapping and manslaughter. Um, the office of W. Dwayne Richardson, the district attorney for the fourth circuit uh, court district of Mississippi said on tape. So it was his office that uh did the prosecution all right now listen so the grand jury's decision had been reported by the associated press and i read the associated press i read their story on uh on this as well for more than two decades prosecutors and legal experts have indicated uh prosecutors and legal experts have indicated that there were dwindling legal avenues for holding uh, Carolyn Brian Dunham or anyone criminally responsible for the abduction, torture, and killing of Emmett Till. Now, uh, investigators, investigations were closed because there was an investigation that uh, was launched in 2004. That one was closed. And then we know the one that was launched after uh, the 2017 book came out. That one was just closed in December 2021. Uh, investigations were closed and no indictments or charges had been issued. Witnesses were aging or dying. Um, Miss Dunham's husband at the time, Roy Bryant, and his half-brother, J.W. Millam, confessed to the murder but only after they were acquitted by an all-white jury both and both men are dead okay so um they admitted to uh the journalist william bradford huey in look magazine that they killed emmett till they were paid four thousand dollars for the interview in look magazine and this was after they were acquitted of murdering emmett till um and will y'all please stop bringing Bill Cosby up in this? Bill Cosby don't have a goddamn thing to do with this. Oh, my God. P people, please use Google. Bill Cosby case don't have a damn thing to do with this. Bill Cosby's accuser, first of all, the incident with Bill Cosby with Andrea Constat took place in 2004, not 1955. And Bill Cosby's conviction was overturned by the Pennsylvania uh, State Supreme Court because based upon the agreement that Bill Cosby had with the outgoing district attorney, he wasn't the outgoing district attorney said there was not enough uh, evidence to prosecute Bill Cosby 
uh, criminally. And in exchange, Bill Cosby agreed to sit down for a deposition in the civil lawsuit. Bill Cosby don't have a damn thing to do with this case. You have to study the merits of this case. OK, I saw somebody post some some nonsense on on Facebook about this. And I had to I had to deal with the facts. OK, unfortunately, use Google, please. Um, look, read the article from the Associated Press. Uh, and this deals with Andrea Constant and Bill Cosby and Bill Cosby's uh, conviction was overturned. So that's not the I don't think that's the example that you actually want to use. Find another example. This one right here uh, from the Associated Press. Let's see here. This one from um, we'll we'll pull this up because it's important for us to understand the merits of these cases, as opposed to just throwing just simple Simon ass nonsense out here. uh okay bill cosby and your constant um uh, bill cosby was released from prison and we look at the associated press story on this okay this one right here released from prison uh june of 2021 associated press bill cosby free from prison his sex conviction overturned june 30th 2021 people please read pennsylvania's highest court threw out bill cosby's sexual assault conviction and and released him from prison wednesday and the stunning reversal of uh fortune for the comedian once known as america uh, as america's dad okay now when you look at this the incident with andrea constant that put bill cosby in prison happened in 2004 not 1964 1974 1984 1994 it happened in 2004 and andrea constant was still alive she testified against bill cosby People, please read this and stop bringing up Bill Cosby's name in this. Bill Cosby don't have nothing to do with this case. This is why we have to study the merits of this case, not a bunch of other stuff that's a distraction. Once again, Bill Cosby's conviction was overturned. I don't think that's the, he was set free. I don't think that's the example that you want to use. All right, now, Dunham's, uh okay so both men are dead uh and they admitted in a uh interview i think it was 19 january 1956 look magazine with william bradford huey they admitted to killing uh emmett till is where that's talked about on page four of the report from the department of justice so even so new details kept emerging back to the article from new york times even so new details kept emerging uh, the latest came this summer as relatives of Emmett Till and researchers looking into his murder unearthed an arrest warrant, unearthed an arrest warrant um, 
for Carolyn Bryant Dunham issued by the LaFleur County Sheriff and dated August 29th, 1955. And it was never served. The sheriff at the time uh, uh, said that uh, he didn't want to bother uh, Carolyn Bryant Dunham because she had two young children. So the arrest warrant was never served. And a lot of people, we, we, we just found out that the arrest warrant existed like uh, it was the last month or the month before that, when, when, when they found it. Uh, right around that time, that's when we found out the arrest warrant existed. We didn't even that uh, there was a, uh, an arrest warrant that was for her. Okay, now uh, they have some other articles here from the New York Times and with Emmett Till. So the most recent turn in the case on Tuesday, August 9th, Tuesday, August 9th, could be uh, could very well be one of the uh, last options for prosecution. Quote, the murder of Emmett Till remains an unforgettable tragedy in this country. Prosecutors said uh, in a statement and the thoughts and prayers of this nation continue to be with the family of, uh, of the family of Emmett Till. All right. Now. The Reverend Wheeler Parker Jr., the Reverend Wheeler, Wheeler Parker Jr., who's a cousin of Emmett Till. And he's the only surviving witness besides uh, Carolyn Bryan, uh, Carolyn Bryan Dunham. Um, he was a cousin of Emmett Till and the best friend of Emmett Till. He's the last living. He's the last living witness to the abduction. He described the development as, quote, unfortunate, but predictable news, unfortunate, but predictable news. OK, still, he said he believed that prosecutors uh were living up to their assurances that they would leave, leave no stone unturned in the fight for justice for my cousin end quote they would leave no stone unturned in the fight for justice for my cousin uh quote the process he said he went on the cutest tried their best as we appreciate his efforts but he alone cannot refer to the prosecutor he alone cannot undo hundreds of years of anti-black systems that guaranteed those who killed Emmett Till would go unpunished to this day. Uh, Reverend Wheeler Parker Jr. said in a statement on Tuesday. Now, the fact, quote, the facts remains, the fact remains that the people who abducted, tortured and murdered Emmett did so in plain sight. OK, did so in plain sight. And our American justice system was and continues to be set up in such a way that they could not be brought to justice for their heinous crimes. Now, Carolyn Bryan Dunham is 88 years old. Some sources say 87. She cannot be immediately reached for uh, comment. I don't think she's going to comment on this at all. All right. Uh, there was an article from the Daily Mail co.uk from uh august 1st that showed pictures of her in public and um these these are the first pictures of her in public in uh about 20 years or so exclusive white woman uh 88 who triggered uh the in this reduce the size of this here triggered the lynching of emmett till is seen for the first time in 20 years as she lives out her final days cancer stricken and in hospice care 
at her Kentucky home. So uh, we saw pictures of her for the first time uh, um, in uh, 20 years, in about 20 years. Uh, pictures of her for, for the first time at uh, in, uh, in hospice care in Kentucky. There she is with oxygen tank uh, in the oxygen uh, tube around her nose. All right. So you can check this article here from uh, the Daily Mail. Exclusive white woman, 88, who triggered the lynching at Emmett Till is seen for the first time in 20 years. All right. Now, let's go back to the piece from the uh, New York Times. So we found out about an unpublished memoir uh, in July of 2022, right around July 15th. There's an article from the uh, Associated Press. Uh, July 15, 2022, uh, Mississippi Attorney General, no prosecution plan at Emmett Till lynching. Uh, and then right around that same time, we found out about the uh, memoir. Uh, there's an article, Emmett Till accuser in memoir denies wanting team killed. There's an article from uh, the Associated Press uh, dealing with that also. But if we look at this here in an unpublished memoir, that surfaced last month, July 2022. Carolyn Bryant Dunham, uh, by her earlier description of events, uh, and said she tried to discourage her husband from harming uh, Emmett Till. Okay. Now, her family doesn't believe, his family does not believe that as well. They put out statements refuting that, uh, her statements in her unpublished memoir. She said in the unpublished memoir, she said he came in our store and put his hands on me with no provocation she wrote do i think he should have been killed for doing that absolutely unequivocally no the emmett till family said the account uh, of carolyn brian dunham in her unpublished memoir was rife with inaccuracies was rife with inaccuracies okay full of nonsense there have been thousands of lynchings uh many in the american south we know that Mississippi was the state with the most number of lynchings from 1882 to 1968. Mississippi had 581 lynchings. They had the most number of lynchings from 1882 to 1968. This information at the NAACP's uh, official website uh, on lynchings, just search for American lynchings. They have information there that deals with statistics on lynchings. But the gruesome details of Emmett Till's killing reverberated across the country. He was tortured and shot in a 75-pound uh, fan, a cotton gin fan, uh, was tied around his neck, and he was thrown into the Tallahatchie River. When he was found, his skull had been crushed and his face disfigured. His mother, Mamie Till Mobley, uh, allowed photographs of his mangled corpse to be published by Jim Magazine, and we know she insisted on having an open casket funeral funeral so what was done to her son and the killing of Emmett Till his funeral the trial helped to galvanize the modern day civil rights movement so much so that um Rosa Parks talked about how uh, when she was on that Cleveland Avenue bus um on December 1st 1955 she was thinking about uh Emmett Till okay and she had uh just gone to a meeting where uh, T.R.M. Howard spoke 
uh, Dr. T.R.M. Howard. It was a meeting dealing with Emmett Till. Uh, she attended this meeting November 27th, 1955, just before Emmett Till was murdered. Okay. Uh, so uh, the, the class I teach on Sundays from the civil war to the civil rights movement and black power, 1865 to 1968, we deal with a lot of this information in that 10 week online class. So we have information on that at our website, africanhistorynetwork.com, africanhistorynetwork.com. And then also here in the thread of the broadcast. Uh, this is an article from the Zen Education Project, November 27, 1955. Rosa Parks attends meeting about Emmett Till. And this deals with uh, that meeting where uh, Dr. T.R.M. Howard spoke. Uh, on November 27, 1955, Rosa Parks, who was a secretary uh, for the NAACP, but she also investigated sexual assaults that African-Americans were accused of, like African-American men were accused of sexual assaults, and she she investigated sexual assaults on African-American women as well. She investigated that on behalf of the NAACP. One of the most famous cases was the gang rape of Recy Taylor. Uh, Rosa Parks investigated that gang rape also. Now, on November 27, 1955, Rosa Parks attended a packed uh, mass meeting at Dexter Avenue Baptist Church to hear Dr. T.R.M. Howard uh, speak. Uh, Howard was the lead organizer in the Emmett Till case. Um, and four days later, when uh, bus driver James Blake told Rosa Parks to give up her seat, quote, pushed as far as she could be pushed, end quote, she refused. And she talks about when you read this uh, excerpt uh, from uh, Rosa Parks biography, um, she talks about thinking about Emmett Till while she was sitting on that bus. Rosa Parks was sickened, angry, depressed, horrified. She had been fighting for years to get justice for black people under the law. Recy Taylor, Gertrude per Perkins, uh, who had been raped, Viola White, Claudette Colvin, who had been arrested for resisting uh, on the bus. And this was about nine months before uh, Rosa Park uh, refused to give up her seat. We know that Claudette Colvin was part of a landmark Supreme Court case filed in filed February 1st, 1956 by attorney Fred Gray. Attorney Fred Gray just received the uh, Presidential uh, Medal of Freedom. And attorney Fred Gray uh, filed this lawsuit on, uh, it was the lawsuit known as Browder versus Gale, the lawsuit of Browder versus Gale. And the plaintiffs in the lawsuit were Aurelia S. Browder, Claudette Colvin, Mary Louise Smith, and Susie McDonald. These were four African-American women who refused to give up their seats on buses in Montgomery, Alabama. Okay. And they were the plaintiffs in this lawsuit and they sued Mayor William A. Gale, G-A-Y-L-E. He was one of the defendants. They sued the mayor of Montgomery, Alabama. They sued the police chief. They sued the Montgomery Bus Lines, Inc., which was the bus company, and other people, members of city council, things like this. The lawsuit goes all the way to the U.S. Supreme Court. And it's going to be, and after appeals, uh, it's going to be December 20th, 1956, that Dr. King calls off the bus boycott after the U.S. Supreme Court rules that uh, it's uh, unconstitutional and illegal for segregation to take place on the buses in Montgomery, Alabama. It's going to be this lawsuit, the lawsuit of Browder versus Gale, filed February 1st, 1956, and they have four African-American women 
as the plaintiffs. This is what's going to end segregation on the buses in Montgomery, Alabama. It wasn't the bus boycott. It's the, it's, it's the lawsuit of Browder versus Gale. Okay, so um, uh, Reese Taylor, Gertrude Parks, Gertrude Perkins, who uh, they've both been raped. Uh, Viola White and Claudette Coleman, who had been arrested for resisting on the bus. Rosa Parks sought protection for black people and particularly African-American men from false charges like the Scottsboro Boys and 16-year-old Jeremiah Reeves, who uh, a young black minister that uh, uh, Raymond Parks knew had been killed for appearing to make an advance at a white woman as had their neighbor H uh, Hilliard Brooks for resisting on the bus. Rosa Parks was discouraged, was discouraged. Most of these cases just got swept underneath the rug. With Emmett Till, people had brought enough attention and an incredible amount of attention. So there had actually been a trial. And yet still, Emmett Till's killers were acquitted. These men who had killed uh, Emmett Till uh, went free. OK, now here is a picture. You see Willie Nash Carthen. Walter Billingsley, Dr. T.R.M. Howard here in the center with the bow tie and the glasses. That's Mamie Till Mobley on his right. OK, Emmett Till's mother. This is U.S. Representative Charles Diggs from Detroit. OK, U.S. House Representative Charles Diggs on um, Dr. T.R.M. Howard's left and uh, also uh, Mandy Bradley. OK, so this is a, a picture here from the uh, University of Memphis Library. All right, um, it goes on to say many years later, she, uh, Emmett Till told, I mean, many years later, Rosa Parks told Emmett Till's mother that she had thought of Emmett Till at this moment when she was on the bus and she refused to give up her seat. She had thought of Emmett Till at this moment. In key ways, then, the Montgomery bus boycott was not just a reaction to bus segregation, but also to this pattern of injustice in the criminal justice system and Rosa Parks' determination to take a stand against it. Rosa Parks understood that it was not just about uh, this lynching or this acquittal, but about a structure that allowed and protected discrimination, segregation, the deferential treatment of black people under law. And, and, and you understand segregation was written into the Alabama state constitution also of 1901, the Alabama State Constitution of 1901. The Montgomery bus boycott was not about one in the front of the bus with white people. That's not what it was about. They were focused on breaking the back of segregation, first in Montgomery, Alabama, secondly in, in, secondly in the state of Alabama. They won a first-class citizenship. And the, and, the, and the violence that went along with, because there was violence that went along with enforcing segregation laws. So when they're talking about breaking the back of segregation, this is not about sitting at the front of a bus with white people. And then some people say, oh, well, they should have just bought the bus company. They had a black cab company there and the black cab company was still uh, subject to harassment by white police officers. Their cab licenses came from the white city government. OK, and they're still governed by laws from the from the racist state government under the Alabama state constitution of 1901. So a lot of times people romanticize segregation and think, oh, if they just owned the bus company, everything would have been all right. No, 
no read this article here from uh forbes.com it was an article i was looking at a couple of days ago this deals with because and i've written an article dealing with uh the montgomery bus boycott as well and when i do my lectures dealing with the revolutionary dr king we talk about this uh uh there as well in, in the lectures um read this article here from forbes.com how cars made the montgomery bus boycott how cars made the montgomery bus boycott and this is a uh i was looking at this piece uh, a couple of days ago because i've read about it before also read dr king's first book um i read his first and in, in his last book uh, where do we go from here castle community but his first book is called strive toward freedom dr king wrote five books his first book is called strive uh, uh stride toward freedom and it's about the montgomery bus boycott it came out in 1958. uh that's the book that he was doing a, a book signing of when he was stabbed by uh, azola ware curry who was a who was a mentally deranged african-american woman and she stabbed dr king in the chest with a letter open okay that was the that was the he was doing a book signing for that book in 1958 when he was stabbed in the chest he almost died actually by, by the way he almost died if he had uh sneezed he would have uh would have died because it uh because of where it was in um proximity to his heart read this article here from um forbes.com let me pull this up Let's get past the ads, get past them trying to get me to get another subscription. This article here, how cars saved the Montgomery bus boycott, how cars saved the Montgomery bus boycott. Uh, this is from December 4th, 2015. And this is, um, man, they got so many pop-ups. Uh, this is from uh, Forbes.com, December 4th, 2015. Very briefly here, it talks about how, and I'm going to blow this up here so people can see it. Um, we go to the second page. In my, let's go. Okay, so they show the bus, uh, National City Line bus number 2857, on which Rosa Parks was riding. In Montgomery, Alabama, for instance, the bus system was nominally private, nominally private, but subject to city racial exclusion laws, but subject to city racial exclusion laws. The cab company was also subject to city racial exclusion laws as well. And they're governed by so you can own the cab company, but you still governed by the ordinance ordinances that are made by the white city government or any state laws that are made by the state government passenger rail segregation was fought by private rail companies which found multi-class service costly as jonathan bean a business historian at southern illinois university has documented yet for many transit firms government granted monopoly status was too enticing to resist okay now the uh montgomery bus boycott lasted 381 days demonstrated uh growing resistance to segregation it did not end segregated buses in montgomery right away that requires success in federal courts as i just explained but it kept the issue alive and gave time for both 
lawsuits to work their way through the court and civil rights activists to take their message to the American people at large. Okay, now uh, I'm going to skip over some of this for the sake of time. For activists in Montgomery, maintain boycott poised a challenge. How to secure needed mobility without riding buses. Walking remained an option, but not for the elderly and infirm and people living in remote locations. Taxi services were more expensive, regulated, and subject to police harassment. And buying a car remained outside many black people's budgets, but helping friends get to work or to uh, the store remained legal. Even in Montgomery, enough African-Americans own private uh, uh, automobiles to ensure that people's vital transportation needs were met. Neighbors organized carpools and shared phone calls to address unanticipated needs, such as having to take someone to the hospital. All these complex coordination uh, tasks were achieved over the year, uh, over the year plus boycott, while the cost to the city steadily mounted. All right, now, um, and they got the idea of the carpool system. There's a 300 car car uh, dispatch system. They got that idea from the Reverend T.J. Jemison. And the Reverend T.J. Jemison was, um, he was the one that led the uh, Baton Rouge, Louisiana bus boycott in 1953. And that bus boycott lasted for eight days. And that bus boycott served as a template for the Montgomery bus boycott. So Dr. King and E.D. Nixon and others were calling the Reverend T.J. Jemison to get advice from him on how to navigate, how to structure their bus boycott. All right. So back to the back to the article from uh, the New York Times. Uh, OK, so we know Emmett Till's mother allowed uh, uh, photographs. Uh, in 2007, a grand jury in LaFleur County had already decided once before, uh, a grand jury in LaFleur County had already decided once before in 2007 not to indict uh, Caroline Dunham, okay? This is, the, this is the same county. That after federal officials had launched an investigation in 2004 and his family and others maintained that other people, other people had been involved in the lynching. Investigators exhumed Emmett Till's body. They also discovered a long lost trail, a long lost trial transcript and produced an 8,000-page report handed over to local prosecutors. Now, a Justice Department investigation was reopened after historian uh, Professor Timothy B. Tyson, a Duke University uh, professor, claimed in a 2017 book called uh, The Blood of Emmett Till, he claimed that Carolyn Bryant Dunham had recanted the most salacious parts of her account, including claims during, uh, including claims made during the earlier murder trial that Emmett Till had grabbed her and made sexually crude remarks. Quote, that part is not true, he quoted her as saying. 
the recantation was not included in the portions of his conversation with her that had been recorded. He did two interviews with her, uh, with Carolyn Bryant Dunham in 2008 and made audio recordings of both of them. The, recanta re the recantation that he claims was not in the audio recordings and was not in the two transcripts of the audio recordings either. The, the 16 page report from the Department of Justice lays this out. So we're going to get to that in just a second. And we're going to focus on pages five through seven or five through eight of that, because I'm going to look at a different portion than I did on our Sunday, July 10th show. So once again, at the end of this broadcast, we're going to re-air that excerpt from our Sunday, July 10th show, the African History Network show, where I went deep into this 16 page report from the Department of Justice as well. So the recantation was not included in the portions of Professor Timothy Tyson's conversation with Carolyn Bryant Dunham in 2008. The professor said he relied he was relying on his notes. He said he was relying on his notes. Now, in December of 2021, and we talked about it here on the African History Network show and on Roland Martin Unfiltered as well when I was on Roland Martin Unfiltered. Uh, in December of 2021, federal uh, officials said that the inquiry had been closed, that they that they launched this, the second one that they launched uh, had been closed and that prosecutors could not pursue perjury charges, uh, citing the statute of limitations and Carolyn Bryan Dunham's denial of ever having changed her story. So she said she did not recant her testimony. Her daughter-in-law was there with her during the two interviews. Her daughter-in-law said she never recanted her testimony. Professor Timothy Tyson could not produce evidence that she recanted her testimony. So when you go through and read this 16-page report, you'll see why the Department of Justice closed their investigation in December 2017 and said that they could not um, bring any charges, okay? Um, so, so it, it, it helps to, it, 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 it helps like to like actually read this before you start posting Bobby Pittman. It ha it helps to like actually read the report from the department of justice. There's a lack of evidence. Okay. So, uh, people can make the argument. Oh, well is Mississippi read the report from the department of justice. I told you this in December, 2021 charges were not going to be brought. And we went through and broke it down because I actually read the report. All right, let's continue. Uh, so if we look at this here, and this is at justice.gov, the Department of Justice website. I encourage everybody, including Bobby, to read it. I, I, I would encourage Ronnie, Bobby, Ricky, and Mike to read it. Um, Emmett Till... Notice to close file. And justice.gov is the U.S. Department of Justice website. They have a wealth of information there. So I'm at their website um, every week. I'm at their website quite frequently. So I encourage people to read this information. All right. Now, so if we look at this here, this is the 16-page report. And I printed it out and went through and read it. This is from December 6, 2021. They also did a press conference that day to, to announce 
that they were closing the investigation and why they were closing the investigation. So it's important for people to read this information. Stop bringing up simple Simon ass nonsense like they prosecuted Bill Cosby. Bill Cosby, as we as we showed you the article from the Associated Press, his conviction was overturned by the Pennsylvania State Supreme Court. Plus, that incident that Bill Cosby was convicted on took place in 2004, not 1955. Uh, okay, I want to focus on, for the sake of time, we're going to focus on section, uh, we're going to go to page three pay uh let me see now let's look uh i want to go to page four page four section c the uh federal investigation so let me scroll down to this you can read the full 16 pages yourself it's a lot of history it gives you a wealth of knowledge it clears up a whole lot of misinformation floating around in social media and just people just running their mouths but I want to start here. This is page four toward the top of the page. Uh, and also they go. It also, if we go back here to page three and top of page four, Roy Bryan and J.W. Millen were acquitted of the murder by an all white jury, which had not heard Carolyn Bryan Dunham's uh, proffered testimony. Shortly thereafter, a local grand jury considered kidnapping charges against the two men. But the grand jury did not return an indictment. The grand jury did not return an indictment. Uh, to date, no other charges. Let's throw this up some more. To date, no other charges. Let's see. He read. Uh, he lost my place here. A few days. Okay, we want section C. Okay, right here. Shortly thereafter, a grand jury considered kidnapping charges against the two men, but the grand jury did not return an indictment on kidnapping charges after they were um, uh, acquitted on the murder charges. To date, no other charges have ever been filed against Roy Bryan, J.W. Millam, or any other person uh, in connection with Emmett Till's abduction and murder. Following their acquittals, both Roy Bryan and J.W. Millam confessed to kidnapping and murdering Emmett Till to journalist William Bradford Huey, who published their account in Look Magazine in January 1956. This is the name of the magazine, Look Magazine, like Life Magazine. It was called Look Magazine. If you watch Eyes on the Prize in the first installment of Eyes on the Prize, it opens up with the murder of Emmett Till. And they actually interview William Bradford Huey in eyes on the prize okay now jw millam was quoted as saying when in, when the n-word gets close to mentioning sex with a white woman he's tired of living he's tired of living living i'm likely to kill him this is what jw millam said in the interview um uh, jw millam died in 1980 william bradford huey the journalist that interviewed both men he died in 1986 Roy Bryant, Carolyn Bryant Dunham's husband, uh, died in 1994. All right. So it lays out the 2004 federal investigation that we talked about in the article from the New York Times, uh, the article that came out August 10th from the New York Times. Mississippi grand jury declines to indict woman in Emmett Till murder case. So the FBI uh, and we'll, we'll just look at 
part of this brief you can um this is on page four of the 16 page report section c the the 2004 federal investigation you can read all this in its entirety the fbi opened the case as a federal civil rights investigation in 2004 upon the request of several interested parties and as part of an agreement between the the department of justice and the mississippi district attorney's office fourth district the mississippi uh district attorney's office fourth fourth district although the department determined there was no basis for a federal prosecution uh at the time the federal investigation was designed to assist local mississippi law enforcement officials in determining whether others besides roy bryant and jw millam were involved in emmett till's murder okay it was designed to determine whether others besides roy bryant and jw mellon were involved in emmett till's murder under the terms of the agreement if the federal investigation uncovered evidence that any living person was involved in the abduction and murder the department would assist the state's efforts to hold them criminally responsible over the next two years the fbi conducted an extensive investigation that included obtaining and reviewing historical records identifying and interviewing surviving witnesses conducting forensic analysis analysis and exhuming and examining the remains of emmett till the department of justice shared his findings available here they have the links part one and two with the mississippi district attorney's office fourth district okay of note of of note the department found that in addition to J roy bryan and jw millam the two men that had been indicted at the time of the offense and who later admitted to a journalist that they killed emmett till they, there had been like there had likely been other participants in emmett till's abduction and murder this is what they found in this investigation of note the department found that in addition to Roy Bryan and J.W. Millam there had likely been other participants in Emmett Till's abduction and murder the findings contradicted several aspects of the account that Roy Bryan and J.W. Millam, Millam had given to journalist William Bradford Huey in that January 1956 interview in Look Magazine following their acquittal an account an account which had for years shaped the narrative of the events surrounding Emmett Till's death the state uh state of Mississippi pursued several leads from the referral including investigating what role if any uh the name is red acted had in Emmett Till's abduction and murder the district attorney's office presented criminal charges against uh this person to a state grand jury in, in february 2007 the grand jury however did not issue an indictment the civil rights division closed its investigation into the matter in 2007 after concluding that no could be federally prosecuted based on the evidence available at the time not but now as as I, I said this in our february 10th 2000 uh in our july 10th 2022 show and in previous 
shows where we talked about this. We talked about this case. It's not it, it, as as Denzel Washington told Ethan Hawke in the movie Training Day. It's not what you believe is what you can prove. It's not what you believe is what you can prove. When the feds go to court, they have to be able to prove beyond a reasonable reasonable doubt to a jury of 12 based upon the evidence, based upon the evidence that a person is guilty of the charges. And they have to be able to meet the element of each of each one of those charges as well. They have to meet the elements of each one of those charges as well, based upon the evidence. Keep in mind, the defendant is going to have a defense team with them as well. That's going to cross-examine their witnesses, challenge the evidence, all of that. They're not going in the court by themselves. So, yes, we want justice for Emmett Till. Definitely want justice for Emmett Till, but they're going to need more evidence to get it. When you read the 16-page report from the Department of Justice, and we're going through this report right now, we're on page four. I'm not going through the whole 16 pages. I don't have time to do that here, but you can read it on your own. You'll see why they're not bringing charges. Uh, okay, so let's get, I'm going to, uh, okay. As as part of this investigation, the FBI interviewed uh, Carolyn Bryan Dunham. I think it's referring to Car Carolyn Bryan Dunham. Uh, several times between 2004 and 2006, the focus of these interviews was to identify whether others, including herself, uh, participated in the events leading up to Emmett Till's death. Some questions, however, centered on what happened between her and Emmett Till inside the store. In these interviews, Carolyn Bryan Dunham relayed, consistent with her sworn testimony, that Emmett Till grabbed her hand and waist and made suggestive comments to her. Okay. Now, his family refutes this okay so just understand but this is what she told the fbi investigators in 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 the, in the 2004 investigation this is what she told the fbi investigators she explained that she did not intend to tell i believe she's referring to her husband roy bryant she explained that she did not intend to uh tell uh Roy Bryant, what had happened inside the store and only provided him a detailed account of what happened after he claimed to have learned of the encounter from someone else and confronted her about it a few days later. This account, according to, I think they're referring to Carolyn Bryant, included Emmett Till having made verbal and physical advances toward her. So, this, this, this so this would explain why there was a delay of a few days in uh if if Roy Bryant was the one who confronted her about what happened because he heard about it from somebody else. This was explained why it was the incident took place August 25th, 1955, but they show up at Mose Wright's house, the, the house where Emmett Till is staying, August 29th, 1955. This, this explains why there, there was a delay, why it wasn't that same day or the next morning or something like that. This part right here is extremely important. Page four, section D. Timothy Tyson's claim that Carolyn Bryant Dunham recanted her testimony. Okay. 
No investigative steps were taken by the federal or state government in the next decade. Then shortly before the publication, now this is critical right here. Then shortly before the publication of his book, The Blood of Emmett Till in 2017, Professor Timothy Tyson revealed to several media outlets that Carolyn Bryant Dunham had during an interview with him nearly a decade earlier, recanted the account that she had provided under oath during a hearing at at uh, Roy Bryant's and J.W. Millam's trial in the murder of Emmett Till. Professor Timothy Tyson's account suggested that um, Carolyn Bryant Dunham lied in court and lied during the FBI's 2004 investigation. Okay. Now he said that, so, so when you go through the, the department of justice lays out the investigation, that's uh section four. We're going we're to come to that here in just a second. That, that That's section four. And they talk about re, they talk about why they opened this 2017 case. When when the news came out in 2017 that um, Professor Timothy Tyson made these claims that he interviewed Carolyn Bryant Dunham twice in 2008 and made audio record had audio recordings of the interview and he claimed that she recanted her testimony recanted portions of her testimony not the entire testimony we recanted portions of her testimony from uh the 1955 case the first question i asked is why'd you wait nine years to say something about it because he said he did the interviews in 2008 but he didn't say anything about her recanting her testimony to 2017 about a month before his book came out the blood of Emmett Till so the first question I ask is if you have smoking gun evidence if she started spilling the beans as you put it and was picked up by the news media why'd you wait nine years to say something about it why didn't you go to the authorities with this recantation now he said and it's in the report from the Department of Justice he said that he didn't go to the authorities because he thought that the investigation that was opened in 2004 was closed. Yeah, but they could they could launch a new investigation based upon new evidence. You're a history professor and you don't know this. They can launch new investigation based upon new evidence. This is the same question I asked in 2017. We talked about this story. In, 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 in the revelation, in the excerpts from the blood of Emmett Till, we talked about this when the story broke in 2017. And I read through all the news articles talking about this. I read through his statements over and over again. And I was still really looking for the smoking gun evidence. Where is it? And the same question I asked in 2017 is the same question I asked in 2022. If you had smoking gun evidence that Carolyn Bryant Dunham recanted her testimony why'd you wait nine years to say something about it why didn't you go to the authorities then because there were more witnesses alive in 2008 let's continue 
So uh, specifically, Professor Timothy Tyson stated that Carolyn Bryant Dunham admitted that her representation, that her representation that Emmett Till had made verbal and physical advances toward her, toward her in the store was not true. This is what he said in his book. Okay. In the book, which was published the following month. So he, so he's promoting the book. He makes these statements a month before the book comes out. Okay. In the book, which was published the following month, Professor Timothy Tyson wrote that Carolyn Brian Dunham said, quote, I have thought and thought about everything about Emmett, about Emmett Till, the killing and the trial, telling who did what to who. And then mummered, okay, he said, and then she mummered, quote, they're all dead now anyway, unquote. He wrote that while trying hard, trying hard to distinguish fact from remembrance, Carolyn Bryant Dunham revealed a story different from what he thought he knew about the incident. Specifically, he represented that Carolyn Bryant Dunham handed him a transcript of her sworn testimony and claimed quote that part's not true end quote he then wrote if that part's not true i asked what happened what did happen that evening decades earlier he said uh he said uh i want she said i want to tell you honestly i just don't remember it was 50 years ago you tell these stories for so long that they seem true, but that part is not true. Nothing that boy did could ever justify what happened to him. Okay, one, we know that. Two, this is Professor Timothy Tyson's account of what he said that Carolyn Bryant Dunham said. Now, Carolyn Bryant Dunham maintained she never recanted any of her testimony. She told investigators this in 2004. She told investigators uh that in 2017 she she uh she she stuck to her testimony in 2004 2017 she said she did not recant her testimony now in the book the blood of emmett till professor timothy tyson identified a september 8th 2008 interview with carolyn bryant dunham and accompanying uh handwritten notes by the author and his sources for these and other statements of Carolyn Brian Dunham's included throughout his book. Professor Timothy Tyson relied upon a draft memoir Carolyn Brian Dunham had written but had not published. Okay, he relied upon the draft memoir. So we found out about the draft memoir last month. Okay, we found out about the draft memoir. And the draft memoir is called I Am More Than a Wolf Whistle. I Am More Than a Wolf Whistle. There's an article here from the Associated Press dealing with the draft memoir. You can read it. In the draft memoir, she denied wanting to see Emmett Till killed. She says she tried to protect Emmett Till. Okay. Um, let's see. Okay, I think it's this one here. 
It's from the Associated Press. Okay, we can look at this one here from ABC News. Okay, yeah, I already have it pulled up here. Uh, we'll look at this one from ABC News because they picked up this article from the Associated Press. So you can read this one here. How's everybody doing? Give us a thumbs up. Give us a heart. Give us a like if you like this broadcast. Share this broadcast on your social media platforms. Invite your friends to tune in. You're not going to get this type of information from a lot of other places. Okay, I didn't want to close that out. So this article came out um, July 14th, 2022. This is from Associated Press. Okay, read this one. ABC News picked this up. Emmett Till, accuser in memoir, denies wanting teen killed. Emmett Till, accuser in memoir, denies wanting Emmett Till killed. The white woman who was at the center of the 1955 lynching of Emmett Till denies wanting him killed. Okay. Uh, once again, Emmett Till's family uh, uh, disputes the her uh, Carolyn Bryan Dunham's account and that she uh, try to protect Emmett Till and all this stuff. They dispute that. Okay. A cousin uh, of Emmett Till who leads the Emmett Till Legacy Foundation, Deborah Watts, said the memoir is new evidence that shows Carolyn Bryan Dunham's involvement in the case and is particularly important when combined with the arrest warrant. Uh, I truly believe these developments cannot be ignored by the authorities in Mississippi, she said. In the memoir, Carolyn Bryan Dunham says she attempted to help Emmett Till once he had been located by her husband and, uh, and brother-in-law, um, uh, J.W. Millam. Uh, brought to her in the middle of the night for identification. She said, quote, I did not wish uh, Emmett any harm and could not stop uh, harm from coming to him since I didn't know what was planned for him, since I didn't know what was planned for him. Uh, Kellen Bryan Dunham says in the manuscript compiled by her, by her daughter-in-law, quote, I tried to protect him by telling Roy that he's not the one, that's not him, please take him home. Uh, end quote. She claimed she claimed this in the manuscript that Emmett Till, who had been dragged from a family home at gunpoint in the middle of the night, spoke up and identified himself. She, she, she this is what she claims in the unpublished memoir. OK, uh, so Emmett Till's family disputes this and, and, and they're saying that's not her accounting of this is not true. All right. Uh, OK, so so read the rest of this here. Emmett Till accuser and memoir denies wanting teen killed. So, so read that article. Some of that just didn't make sense. What's a but? Yeah, okay. All right. Now I want to go back to the report from the Department of Justice. Okay. Section four, current FBI investigation. This is page five. Current FBI investigation. Professor Timothy Tyson's claim of, Emmett, uh, of Carolyn Bryan Dunham's recantation understandably caused outrage in Mississippi and around the country. Understandably caused outrage in Mississippi and around the country. And it was widely reported by, by numerous media outlets 
by, num by numerous news outlets in both print and television media, this recantation or alleged recantation. Interested parties question whether having recanted her prior statement, Carolyn Brian Denham could be punished for her previous lies. If now the statute of limitations on perjury in trials is like five to seven years. So, uh, no, not perjury. She can't be, she can't be brought up on perjury charges from the trial, but if she lied to investigators in the 2017 investigation or the 2004 investigation, the statute of limitations for the 2004 investigation ran out. But if she lied to investigators during that 2004 investigation, okay, and they could prove she was lying, they could have brought her up on perjury charges. But the 2004 investigation, um, you know, I'm going to say the 2017 investigation, when you go through and read it, she maintained that she did not recant her testimony. Now, if confirmed, a recantation of Carolyn Brian Dunham's account of what happened inside the store will, would, would raise questions about the previous federal and state decisions to decline prosecution. Uh, the department's previous conclusion about what role, if any, uh, Carolyn Brian Dunham had in Emmett Till's abduction and murder and whether any other person previously identified was complicit in the underlying crimes. And of course, a recantation would directly contradict both her testimony and the state proceedings in 1955 and the statement she provided to the FBI during the previous investigation. Okay, the current investigation was uh, the, the one that closed in December 2021. The current investigation was designed to identify evidence corroborating Professor Timothy Tyson's claim that Carolyn Bryant Dunham recanted her testimony, um, recanted her 1955 testimony, and whether there was additional evidence, whether there was additional evidence identifying one previously unknown information of Carolyn Brian Dunham having been complicit in Emmett Till's abduction and murder. Okay, that's number one. This is what they're looking for additional evidence to prove. Two, any previously unknown living subject. And three, a basis to support any other federal or state charges. Okay, so one, they're looking for previously unknown information of Carolyn Brian Dunham having been complicit in Emmett Till's abduction or murder. They're looking for evidence of this. Two, they're looking for any previously unknown living subject. And three, they were looking for a basis to support any other federal or state charges. And re-examining these issues, the FBI interviewed Carolyn Bryant Dunham, Professor Timothy Tyson, and persons uh, close to or associated with them. In addition, the men also re-interviewed uh, that, that would have been uh, Reverend Wheeler Parker Jr. 
uh, Emmett Till's cousin from Chicago who was with Emmett Till at the store. He was outside of the store when Emmett Till comes out and he was at the house when Emmett Till was abducted, Reverend Wheeler Parker Jr. In addition, the government also re-interviewed Reverend Wheeler Parker Jr., the last surviving member of the group of young men who accompanied Emmett Till to uh, the uh, grocery, grocery and meat market and who was present when Emmett Till was abducted by his relatives at home, uh, by his relatives, uh, abducted from his relatives' home. Now, there is a um, interview that um, is at Rutgers University's website with Wheeler Parker Jr. And he talks about uh, Emmett Till's abduction. You all can check this out as well. And I was watching an interview uh, that he did. Uh, I was watching an interview uh, yesterday that he did some time ago also. I forgot when it was done. But this article here from Rutgers Today, from Rutgers University, February 21st, 2020, last witness to Emmett Till abduction recounts his final days. This is written by uh, Cynthia Medina. Emmett Till's cousin discussed misinformation about the murder that catalyzed um, the uh, civil rights movement, okay? And this goes through and breaks it down. He talks about uh, Emmett Till uh, whistling at her because he was outside of the store when uh, Emmett Till came out. Um, the, the two were together when Emmett Till whistled at Carolyn Bryant uh, at, at, the, at her family's grocery store. Four days later, Wheeler Parker Jr. said he witnessed Emmett Till's abduction at gunpoint at his great uncle's home. Fearing for his life, Wheeler, Wheeler Parker returned uh, to Chicago and soon after Till's tortured body was found in the Tallahatchie River. Um, said in this interview, Tid, Till did whistle, he said. Some people don't want to think that he did, but he did. And when it happened, we could have all fainted. He was so he, he was so afraid and he knew he messed up. He was fun loving and carefree, but that didn't fly in the South. And this was a very different time. Now, this is no justification for his killing, but Wheeler Parker Jr. was there and he's telling what happened. This, this is this is still no justification for his abduction and killing, but he was there with him until he's telling what happened. Um, OK, so he talks about the, uh, the night the man had a pistol in one hand and a flashlight in the other. Then they passed right by me and then they passed by my cousin Curtis. He said at around 3 a.m. they took Emmett. We stayed up all night in silence. It seemed like daylight would never come. Okay, so read the rest of this here. All right. Um, there's a picture of him, Wheeler Parker Jr., Reverend Wheeler Parker Jr. So check this out. Uh, last witness to Emmett Till abduction recounts his final days. All right, now let's continue. I'm going to wrap this up here in a few minutes. Okay, I want to go to, back to the report from the Department of Justice here We're on page five, section four, current FBI investigation. 
So the FBI also obtained and reviewed other relevant documents, conducted forensic computer analysis, and consulted with case agents familiar with the earlier investigation. The FBI quickly identified a, okay, this is extremely important here. The, uh, the FBI quickly identified a significant obstacle in its investigation. Professor Timothy Tyson conducted two separate interviews with Carolyn Bryan Dunham and recorded and transcribed both. However, the key statements Carolyn Bryan Dunham reportedly made to him recanting her previous testimony were neither recorded nor transcribed, were neither recorded nor transcribed. So contrary to what's in his book, contrary to what was floating around the news articles, contrary to what they say on cable news, MSNBC, CNN, the recantation of her testimony or a portion of her 1955 testimony that Professor Timothy Tyson alleged that Carolyn Bryant Dunham made, he has no evidence in the transcriptions of the two audio recordings or in the two audio recordings. The, the, when when all, all of this stuff floating around, the FBI went and investigated all this. They, they, invest, they questioned witnesses. They conducted, they reviewed other relevant documents. They conducted forensic computer analysis and consulted with case agents familiar with the early investigation, okay? They identified a, a significant obstacle in the investigation. The key statements that Carolyn Bryan Dunham reportedly made to Professor Timothy Tyson recanting her previous testimony were neither recorded nor transcribed. The FBI learned that Professor Timothy Tyson had lost one of the recordings. This is what he said. He lost one of the recordings. The one during which Carolyn Bryant Dunham reportedly recanted her earlier statements and sworn testimony. Moreover, Professor Timothy Tyson gave inconsistent explanations of whether there had ever been a recording of the admission and if not, why none had been made. Timothy Tyson also gave differing accounts as to when Carolyn Bryan Dunham made the recantation. And Timothy Tyson told investigators, although Carolyn Bryan Dunham did not specifically identify any part of her testimony as untrue, he understood, understood from, the context, from the context of their conversation that she was referring to her allegation that Emmett Till had physically accosted her in the store and that this connection was recorded in his written notes, not in a transcription of the recording, not in the audio recording. He said it's in his written notes. So you go from smoking gun testimony, smoking gun recantation of the testimony to you to her not explicitly recanted testimony, but you inferring from the context, you understanding from the context of the conversation 
that she was referring to Emmett Till having physically accosted her. Okay, yeah, go go into court with that and see what happens. Tyson's notes. So they so the FBI goes on the site because they went and investigated all of this. They go on to say that Professor Timothy Tyson's notes, however, do not include such a connection. So he said it's in his written notes, but then they reviewed the written notes that he gave them. And they're saying his written notes don't provide any type of connection, any such connection. These facts would preclude the government from proving beyond a reasonable doubt that Carolyn Bryant Dunham recanted her previous testimony when speaking with Professor Timothy Tyson and therefore that she lied to the FBI when she denied having done so. So then they go, read the rest of this here. Then they go, a summary, section eight, a summary of the investigation. Under uh, number section four, current FBI investigation, look at section eight, page five, bottom of page five, a summary of investigative steps, a summary of investigative steps. Once it was reported that Carolyn Bryant Dunham had recanted uh, to Professor Timothy Tyson, the Department of Justice took multiple state steps. The Department of Justice took multiple steps to corroborate Professor Timothy Tyson's account. The FBI and the Mississippi District Attorney's Office, 4th District, conducted several interviews to include, then they go through and lay out the steps and what they did. Okay. And so read, read over some, of, read over some of these steps. I have to skip over some for the sake of time. Read over that. I want to go to the FBI, to, this step right here, the FBI together with the Mississippi district attorney's office, fourth district re-interviewed. I think that's Carolyn Brian Dunham in the summer of 2018 Carolyn Brian Dunham declined to participate in the subsequent interview. Uh, Dunham, who had been present during, let me see, um, Carolyn Brian Dunham's daughter-in-law was present during the interviews that Professor Timothy Tyson did, the two interviews. She was present. So I forgot her, I forgot her daughter-in-law's name, but Carolyn Brian Dunham, uh, Carolyn Brian Dunham's daughter-in-law who had been present during Professor Timothy Tyson's interviews with Carolyn Bryant denied that Carolyn Bryant had ever recanted her early accounts of what happened in the store. Now, uh, where is this here? The FBI. Okay, twice in the summer of 2018, The FBI, uh, okay, that's not what I want. I want to go down here. This is the second one I want to go to. FBI together with the, I want to go to this one right here. The FBI together with the Mississippi District Attorney's Office, 4th District, interviewed Professor Timothy Tyson in the fall of 2019. This is the one I want right here. In the fall of 2019. According to Tyson, Carolyn Bryant Dunham made the controversial statements at the very beginning of his first interview with her he explained he had not yet begun recording 
he explained he had not yet begun recording their conversation when she made comments so he took notes of their conversation instead tyson told investigators he never thought to report carolyn brian dunham's confessional quotes to law enforcement at the time because he believed the investigation was closed he believed the investigation was closed they can open up a new investigation if there's new evidence they can open up a new investigation if new evidence surfaces they can open up a new investigation the fbi also reviewed numerous documents audio recordings electronic media some of which was obtained through um i'm not sure who that person is and some through witness cooperation including a single photocopied page of timothy tyson's handwritten notes one audio recording of an interview with carolyn brian dunham transcripts of two audio recordings of interviews with carolyn brian dunham made by timothy tyson's uh a a copy of uh carolyn brian dunham's unpublished memoir and an image of the hard drive from timothy tyson's laptop a copy of uh carolyn brian dunham's 109 page unpublished memoir that contained timothy tyson's editorial comments and suggestions the contents of a 2014 unpublished paper professor timothy tyson wrote referencing his interviews with carolyn bryant dunham that professor tyson's graduate student posted online email conversations between professor tyson another author about the content of the 2014 online paper email conversations between tyson and i'm not sure who this other person is this red act i'm not sure who that person is email conversations between tyson and somebody else comments tyson made publicly to various reporters about his interviews with carolyn brian dunham in 2017 the fbi in 2017 fbi agents met with carolyn brian dunham and her daughter-in-law who had been present for professor timothy tyson's interviews with dunham with carolyn bryant the fbi goes and interviews carolyn bryant dunham and her daughter-in-law the purpose of the interview was to consider whether carolyn bryant dunham or anyone else participated or played a more significant role in emmett till's abduction and murder than previously found and to determine whether uh uh dunham would admit to federal authorities what she had reportedly uh admitted during her interview with professor timothy tyson okay now far from co far from corroborating timothy tyson's account however carolyn brian dunham adamantly denied 
having made the admission Professor Timothy Tyson attributed to her in his book. Moreover, she said she and her daughter-in-law together provided a, di a very different account of their interactions with Pro Professor Timothy Tyson than those portrayed in his book and those Tyson later shared with federal investigators. In fact, their accounts differ dramatically from Timothy Tyson's. In fact, their accounts differ dramatically from Timothy Tyson's. Now, this is on page seven, top of page seven. Not just on what was said during the interviews, but on the nature of their relationship their understanding of what Professor Timothy Tyson uh, could do with a draft memoir uh, they were working on and their knowledge of Tyson's intention to write a book about Emmett Till. According to uh, Carolyn Bryant Dunham, I think this is referring to Carolyn Bryant Dunham. According to her, nearly 10 years earlier, she and her daughter-in-law began writing uh a memoir, I'm, I'm more than a wolf whistle is what it's called, 99 page, 109 page memoir of her life. Realizing the task of doing so was too overwhelming for the two of them. They reached out to Professor Timothy Tyson for help with writing, editing and publishing the book. When Tyson agreed, uh, traveled to North Carolina where, uh, where, okay. So he traveled to North Carolina. It appears where Carolyn Brian Dunham lived to meet with, uh, Tyson for help with the memoir. Okay. According to Carolyn Brian Dunham, she met with Tyson on two occasions for a few hours and Tyson recorded their sessions. Uh, Dunham indicated that Tyson, quote, recorded everything from the moment he walked in the door. She said he recorded everything from the moment he walked in the door. Uh, Dunham explained that shortly after the interviews, Professor Tyson provided her with copies of the interview transcripts to assist her in writing her memoir. Uh, Dunham, however, eventually decided against publishing her memoir. Although she did not repeat to federal investigators her account of what happened inside the store in 1955, Carolyn Bryant Dunham denied to investigators that she ever told Professor Timothy Tyson in either of their interviews that she had lied during her testimony. So she's telling, she's, she's telling the FBI investigators that she never recanted her testimony to Timothy Tyson. Dunham also denied to investigators 
that uh or let me see uh and, and I, I think this this second the second line here i think that's her daughter-in-law also her daughter-in-law also denied to investigators that carolyn Bryant dunham had recanted her testimony during her conversations with tyson and explained to investigators that um Carolyn Brian Dunham had consistently maintained over 40 years that Emmett Till had physically grabbed her in the store. Now, his family disputes that. His family says he didn't grab her in the store uh, or grab her at all, for that matter. All right. Now, because. Uh, not only failed to re because Carolyn Brian Dunham not only failed to repeat the inculpatory admission when talking to federal authorities, but also denied ever having made such an admission, but also denied ever having made such an admission. Uh, to, to Professor Timothy Tyson, authorities attempted to find other evidence that Carolyn Bryant Dunham uh in fact had confessed to professor timothy tyson that her previous accounts of the incident were false okay so then they go to section c timothy tyson section c page seven this is the 16 page report from the department of justice called emmett teal notice to close file and this is their investigation based upon the allegations that Professor Timothy Tyson made in 2017 that Carolyn Bryant Dunham recanted testimony or parts of her testimony during a 2008 interview that he did with her. So federal authorities contacted Professor Timothy Tyson and asked him if he would provide government officials with any information he had from his meetings with Carolyn Bryant Dunham, such as notes recordings or any other information upon which he based his claim that she had recanted her testimony or any other information upon which that he based his claim that she had recanted her testimony professor timothy tyson informed authorities that material from his interviews uh belong to the university of north carolina's southern historical collections the university of north carolina's uh southern historical collections southern historical collections federal investigators confirmed that the library archives received from professor timothy tyson two transcribed interviews a uh, two transcribed interviews, a copy of Carolyn Bryant Dunham's draft memoir, and a photograph of a legal notepad, a photograph of a legal notepad. In September 2017, the FBI obtained from the library archives and other sources one audio recording two transcripts of two audio recordings, a single copy 
a single photocopied page of handwritten notes, a copy of Carolyn Brian Dunham's memoir, an edited copy of her memoir, an image of the hard drive from Professor Timothy Tyson's laptop, and various email correspondence. When we look at the audio recordings and transcripts under section C, Timothy Tyson, number one, audio recordings and transcripts. The FBI obtained an audio recording of Timothy Tyson's interviews with Carolyn Bryant Dunham and transcriptions of both interviews, transcriptions of both interviews. Tyson informed the FBI in an email that he could not locate the recording of his first interview with Dunham and that uh, his then, uh, I'm not sure what it was, lost it somehow. I think he's, I think he may be saying an assistant or something lost it somehow. He indicated, however, that he thought they found it and would continue to search for it and update the FBI when the results of, uh, with the results of his search. He has never provided the FBI with the second recording. He, he has never provided the FBI with the second recording that he says contains the recantation. Professor Timothy Tyson did not mention or suggest in his email to the FBI that the recordings, whether available or not, were incomplete or that they did not cover the entirety of his interview with, with uh, Dunham. Neither the available recording nor the transcripts include the controversial statements he attributes to Carolyn Bryant Dunham. Neither the available recording nor the transcripts include the controversial statements he attributes to Dunham. Moreover, case agents who have participated in previous interviews with Dunham scrupulously reviewed the transcript to determine whether she made admissions inconsistent with her prior statements to federal authorities. Agents determined that while she provided some additional details of the events surrounding Emmett Till's abduction and murder that were previously unknown to federal investigators, none of Dunham's recorded or transcribed statements was materially different from statements she made during interviews with the FBI during the earlier investigation okay so it's saying even though she gave some additional details that she did not previously give she did not contradict her testimony and 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 none suggests that she altered or recanted her previous testimony and none of these new details led to the identification of a new living participant in Emma Till's abduction and murder who could be prosecuted. Section, uh, so under section C, 
with section four, uh, subsection C, number two, Timothy Tyson's handwritten notes. Timothy Tyson's handwritten notes. The undated handwritten notes that Professor Timothy Tyson provided to the FBI do not include a full quotation of the alleged recantation that Timothy Tyson described in his book. Do not include a full quotation of the alleged recantation that Tyson described in his book. The notes include only four statements without context as to what subject had been under discussion when the statements were made or what questions had led to the statement. The notes state in full as follows. So he has a name. I guess that name would be Carolyn Bryan Dunham. Then he has the quote, that part was, wasn't true. Then it says 50 years ago. I just don't remember. Then it says nothing that boy ever did could justify what happened to him. These are, these are from his notes. Professor Tyson did not provide any accompanying information to identify the context in which uh, Dunham allegedly made these statements, nor did he provide any additional notes of his interviews with Dunham. Rather, he rather he represent rather he represented that he did not believe he took any additional notes of their conversations. There's also there is also nothing in the recording transcripts that obviously correlates to these statements to provide any additional context. And instead, the recording transcripts raise additional questions about what Carolyn Bryant Dunham said and when she said it. Then they go to section three. Interview of Tyson and review of additional information. This is page eight. The recording transcripts of Professor Timothy Tyson's interview with Dunham do not include a recantation or provide context to Professor Timothy Tyson's sparse handwritten notes. And the notes themselves do not, the notes themselves do not corroborate Tyson's assertion that Carolyn Bryant Dunham recanted her testimony. For that reason, the FBI and the Mississippi District Attorney's Office, 4th District, reviewed additional information uncovered during the investigation and interviewed Professor Tyson to ask him directly, interviewed Professor Tyson to ask him directly about the nature and context of the statements he attributed to Carolyn Bryant Dunham. When, when, when the FBI does an investigation, 
they go through all all those leads, all that stuff floating around them. They go through and they methodically go through and investigate each one of those leads and view witnesses, review documents, all of that stuff. But rather than obtaining other corroborating evidence to support Timothy Tyson's claim that Carolyn Bryant Dunham offered a recantation, investigators instead identify. Now, this is an important point here. This is why I'm going over this. This is page eight, section three. Investigators instead identified numerous inconsistencies with Professor with Professor Timothy Tyson's account that raised questions about the credibility of his account of the interviews. So they keep getting deeper and deeper in this, and they keep seeing all these inconsistencies. For example, it is undisputed. For example, it is undisputed that Professor Timothy Tyson interviewed Carolyn Bryant Dunham twice. But there is confusion about the purpose of the interviews and when they occurred, when the key statements were made and in what context were these key statements made and why those key statements were not memorialized. Moreover, inconsistencies between Professor Timothy Tyson's account and documentary evidence would prevent the Department of Justice from relying upon Tyson's uncorroborated account. So they're saying he's not a reliable witness. Okay, so then they go through and talk about confusion over the purpose of the interviews and when and in what context Carolyn Bryan Dunham made the alleged recantation. You go through, read the rest of that. But th th those were the salient points I wanted to get to here in this broadcast. Looking at a different section of the report. Read this full report, 16 pages. Came out December 6, 2021. Emmett Till noticed a closed file. As I said in our... Uh, as I said on the um, July 10th or July 10th edition of the our Sunday show, the African History Network show, as I said then, if the feds took a Carolyn Bryant Dunham to court, if they were going to prosecute, and they put Professor Timothy Tyson on the witness stand, if 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 her defense her defense attorneys would destroy him on cross-examination after he testifies. Because the story, the story, his story keeps changing. You said she recanted the testimony. You don't have an audio recording of it. You said you recorded the two interviews. You don't have the audio recording of the recantation. You lost the second audio recording, the two transcripts of the audio recordings don't contain the recantation. Your notes are unreliable. And they said his notes don't contain a recantation. The context of his notes are not clear. Hopefully there will be justice for Emmett Till, but it's not going to be with this evidence right here. So, um, go through, read these articles that I shared with you. We deal with facts and evidence as much as possible here. 
okay and like i said before as denzel washington told uh ethan hawk in the movie training day it's not what you believe it's what you can prove it's not what you believe it's what you can prove all right then the um the um broadcast we did july 10th that edited broadcast uh because i went through and edited just this section uh we'll provide that in the link here of the broadcast as well and i shared that yesterday also but it's on our facebook fan page the african history network and our youtube channel michael m hotep as well i m h o t e p uh be sure to register for the online history classes i teach on saturdays and sunday you see i'm like pretty thorough with my um information when it comes to history the information period but if, if you do network show you'll know this um on saturdays and sundays i teach history classes on on uh, saturdays it is uh ancient kemet the moors and the ma'afa understanding the transatlantic so our next class is saturday august 13th uh 2022 august 13th 2022 2 p.m to 4 p.m eastern standard time so we deal with thousands of years of history and what leads up to uh the transatlantic slave trade taking place so that class is on sale uh sixty dollars regularly 140 dollars and uh it takes a lot to do these classes and i also have to pay for the two digital platforms that uh, we teach the classes on but it's a ton of information in it you're going to learn a lot and then on sundays um we teach from the uh from the civil war to the civil rights movement and black power 1865 to 1968 okay and in that class we deal with history um and we start in 1803 with the louisiana purchase and we deal with history um that leads up to the civil war and goes uh we deal with reconstruction 1865 1877 uh we deal with the um so we do a reconstruction uh jim crow era world war one world war two great migration civil rights movement the black power movement the second class the one we teach on sundays from the civil war to the civil rights movement of black power 1865 to 1968 that class is on sale 60 dollars as well and uh we do the sessions live all the sessions are archived and recorded you can go back and watch it anytime uh first class we do on saturdays um uh, that should be saturday the next class is going to be saturday august 13th okay saturday august 13th not thursday uh we have a bundle pack where you can register for both classes for a hundred dollars so that's uh over 300 dollar value because they're going to be uh there's some bonus lectures that you'll get from me in a digital format as well so if you've taken any of my online classes in the past email us at uh ehn show at africanhistorynetwork.com you'll get a 50 percent discount uh on the classes we have this information at our website africanhistorynetwork.com africanhistorynetwork.com and our new website theafricanhistorynetwork.com theafricanhistorynetwork.com so in the um saturday class ancient kemet the moors and the ma'afa 
understanding the transatlantic slave trade, what they didn't teach you in school. There were thousands of years of history and what leads up to uh, the transatlantic slave trade taking place. And we do a timeline of history. There's uh, book references or articles. There's over 50 articles that I reference. We have video clips, all that information. And we also deal with the African presence in the Americas going back at least 51,700 years ago as well. Okay. So we have the information here in the thread of the broadcast. Uh, you can register for the class. As soon as you register, there's bonus content that you, that you can watch the previous classes and this content that you can start watching also. Um, and you can watch from around the world. Even after the class is over with, a year from now, two years from now, you can go back and watch the entire course. Okay. And we have information for the bundle pack uh, there. You can register for both classes. Uh, that's there uh, as well. If you, uh, you can use this information with your children also. Uh, with the classes, I would say the content is PG-13. So um, it's not vulgar. It's not, uh, I don't do a lot of cursing, things like this. So you can use this with our youth. You can use this with our children also. And you can also support the African History Network if you like this type of information. This takes a lot of work and takes finances to be able to do all this uh, type of research and do the broadcast. You can support us, dollar sign, the AHN show through Cash App, dollar sign, the AHN show through Cash App, also through PayPal, paypal.me forward slash the AHN show, paypal.me forward slash the AHN show. So we have the information um, also on the homepage of our website. Um, the African History Network.com. This is our official Cash App account. Dollar sign the AHN show. When you go to it, it says Michael and it shows my picture there. These other ones here are fake African History Network Cash App accounts. I'm still trying to get shut down. They've been stealing money from us. So we're still trying to get them shut down. Okay, so hopefully you, you learned a lot from this broadcast. And uh, you can go through, read these articles, read the full report from the Department of Justice as well. As I said before, hopefully there will be justice somehow for Emmett Till. It's not going to be with the information from Professor Timothy Tyson, however. All right, look, we have to get out of here. Remember, right now is correct wrong behavior. It's not over till we win. Wakanda forever. And we'll talk to you next time. Peace. <laughs>